0: road to life. We love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. We're here with pastor Mike Shepline and we're going to hear the message from Sunday where you can be inspired through the word of God and maybe even a funny story. For more information, visit roadtolifechurch.com and we'll see you next week. we come into, and today's obviously Easter, the day that we celebrate Easter in, uh, in America and in our portion of, of the world, but when you think about it, I mean, we just had Good Friday a couple days ago, and then today is Easter, and you know, when you think about what Easter represents in our life, I don't know about you, but I was raised in, I would say we were a religious home, but we were not Christian. And there's a huge difference between that. Is we, it was, it was a, um, my dad kind of would make us go. How many of you know what I'm saying? And I hated it. I'm just going to be super honest. I did not like it. It was like you say, why? Because I always got whipped after church. Y- you say, why did you get whipped? Because I could not sit still, and I would poke, I would do, I would, you know, with my brothers. My dad would sit in the middle, and he would, he had eyes in the back of his head, and he would just lean forward in the pew, and I'm like just my mom if I could get sitting next to her she would rub my neck and it would put me to sleep and I would just be like but she would do it to whoever was by her so we'd fight to get by her but my dad would lean over down and he'd look down the pew and he'd look make eye contact with you and say that's one he would just look and just say one and you say was that a warning no that's a (laughs) swat that's what that meant it was a swat You said it wasn't unusual for me to leave church and have eight to ten by the time I left church. You know, and and that'll like, why do I want to go to church? You know what I'm saying? And so, but you know, you when you think about um, Easter, is that Easter is yes, it is a religious holiday from globally, but. Realize before it was ever what we would call religion is what man does to get to God, but Christianity is what God did to get to us. And in when we come together as Christians, you know, our basically Easter is about that God didn't just brush my sins under the carpet, but Jesus paid for them. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit now in our life, in the New Testament, transforming our life. And God is changing us from the inside out, not the outside in. And that's what Christianity is all about. I think we all have a relationship with God based on grace, which simply means that we are not attempting to earn our acceptance to God or our performance. And God, because I did this, now you're going to do this or, or you're going to do this. You know, it's grace. And I think there's an acronym. Up. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. But the term grace means God's righteousness. Did you guys put that up? Why? Everybody, thank you, Ben. No, I'm kidding. It'll be up for the next service. Okay. Grace is God's righteousness at Christ's expense. That's what we got. We got grace. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. But what I want to talk about today is Jesus said that after three days, he was going to rise again. It was prophesied in the Old Testament as well. And Good Friday is about Jesus' sacrifice, and Easter is about his resurrection, but it's the three days between the two that we live that's where we live. He was the one that that said, not my will, your will be done, went to the cross and was crucified. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that rose him from the dead. But our life is in those three days. Our life is the in-between. I find that God many times has three days between our crucifixion experience in our life and the resurrection reality of him coming through And bringing life to an area that maybe we're like, oh my gosh, I didn't think that it was going to make it. And it's what I call the gap that is in between. And it's in those three days that God is wanting to work in us, in each and every one of us, that he's faithful. No matter what it feels like, he's faithful. Even when it didn't go the way that I thought it was going to go, God is faithful to his word. God is faithful when it doesn't look right. God is faithful when it seems like it's all over and we don't know what to do. He's faithful when the world says give up and throw in the towel. God is faithful. He's faithful to his word in in our lives, And God is saying on Easter, he's saying, trust me when that's all that you have left. That's all there is left is I need you to trust me. There is no greater freedom in our life than to experience God's grace in his miraculous power when we thought it was all over. We thought it was. It. there's no greater transformation in our life. Going through these seasons with him is what gives us the ability to go to sleep in the back of the boat when everybody else said the boat is sinking. But when we go through a crucifixion and we see a resurrection and God come through, it changes us on the inside and gives us the ability to go to sleep in a difficult time, in a difficult situation situation in our life. You know, when you think about it, I'm just going to ask the question, how many of us are Christians today? How many of us are Christians? Well, about eight or ten of us. I said, how many of us are Christians how many of us? Okay, now I'm going to say it like Jesus is looking. Okay, how many of us are Christians today? How many say, oh, "Okay, I'm a Christian." And when you when you use the term, it, uh, "Oh, I'm a Christian," what I'm inferring is is that I am a people of fa- a person of faith, or we are people of faith. And what that simply means is is we believe the Bible. We believe that God created the earth that we live in from nothing but his word. We believe that when Sarah was 90 years old and had a promise of Isaac that and she no longer had her female cycle, that God caused her to get pregnant and have a son. We believe that God led Noah to build a boat when it had never rained and told Noah it was going to rain and that he was going to fill the boat with all of the animals. Noah built the boat. God sent the animals two by two, and they all went into the boat, and then the rain came. They went in in pairs. We believe that he parted the Red Sea with a swatch that was so wide it was at least three miles wide for the children of Israel to go from Egypt Into the promised land of what God had for their life. We believe that the Israelites marched around Jericho and didn't say a word, and on the seventh day they shouted and the walls fell down. Do we believe that? Do 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 we believe that you know do we believe that God provided food and water daily for over 3 million people in a desert and that their shoes didn't wear out their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years do we believe that do we believe that God was a pillar of fire by night while he was leading them to keep them warm and then he was a cloud by day to shout to shadow them so that they didn't get burned We believe that that Daniel was thrown into a den of hungry lions that was that was set up to kill him, but when he went in not one of them touched him and he came out. He protected them. We believe that God protected the three Hebrew children when they were thrown into a furnace and the people that threw them in, it was so hot that they died and the king looked into the furnace and said, I'm not getting it. I'm seeing four people in there and the fourth one looks like the son of God the fourth one looks and they came out of the fire they weren't burned and they didn't even smell like smoke we believe that the Holy Spirit caused Mary to conceive we believe in the virgin birth we believe that God took a little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch we believe that Jesus walked on water we believe that God used Jesus in the New Testament to raise the dead, to cause people who had never seen to see, to to literally lay hands on the paralyzed and every type of sickness you could imagine, we believe that when it was tax time, that's Monday, (laughs) that Jesus told them to go fishing and the first fish you catch, open its mouth and your tax money is in there. Oh, how many of you would be like, oh yes, Lord, speak, Lord. Your servant is willing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We believe we're going to heaven that we have not seen. We believe that. Right. We be- Thank you, honey. We believe that the Savior rose from the dead yes. three days after he was crucified. Yes. We are people of faith who call those things... That be not as though they are. Because we believe in a good, loving, faithful, forgiving, strengthening, empowering, infusing, compassionate, loving heavenly father that has adopted us and called us his own children. That's what faith is. That's what faith is. God wants us to know him as the one who defies our reason. He defies it. Some of us right now, you've been through a crucifixion experience and God wants you to know that he's able to defy your reason. He's able when everybody else, you know, when you think about it, look at the followers of Jesus between the crucifixion and the resurrection. And what I want to do today is I want to glean from them. And the reason being is to avoid, I think sometimes, some of the detours in our life that we go through when we have an experience and we're between the resurrection and we've got this experience. And what, what we've got to do is realize that God is faithful to his word. He will do what he's promised, and we have to avoid some of the detours. Whenever we face a crucifixion, we can take a detour and get lost in that place. We can get lost. I don't know how many of you go to South Bend from here, but I remember last summer when they closed down M139. How many of you remember that? I thought, why did they do this in the summer? How many of you are with me on that? And my wife said, oh, we have to go a different way. And I said, baby, I will figure out a way. I drive an FJ Cruiser that has four-wheel drive. Are you with me? <laughs> and she says, is that legal? And I said, yes, ma'am. How many of you are with me on that? Now, let me just be super clear. I stayed on the roads. But I, they had these detour signs, go this way. I thought, there's no way I'm going that way. That's five miles out of my way. I think, and eventually I came back and said, let's take the right detours. Are you with me? Because I wasted a whole bunch of time. I believe that whenever we're facing and we're between a crucifixion and a resurrection, God is saying, avoid the wrong detours. Avoid them in your life. Avoid them in your heart. And the number one is this, is that when life doesn't go how you have planned, don't get mad. Remember who has you. When life doesn't go the way I thought it was going to do this, right there, don't get mad. Remember who has you. Life didn't go how the disciples thought it was going to go. As a matter of fact, if you look in the Old Testament, Psalms 22, Psalms 26, Isaiah 53, it's prophesied about his crucifixion. It is prophesied about it. And Jesus has told had told his disciples over and over again about it. And but what it was is they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it was going to go that way. And I want to look at a segment where Peter gets mad when he finds out that Jesus is planning this thing, and it's going this way, and he pulls Jesus aside and begins to set him straight. How many of you know you don't set Jesus straight? Jesus sets you straight. How many of you know what I'm saying? And the moment we get mad and we begin to try to set him straight, what he will always do is he will bring us right back to say, you know what? You're not in charge. God is in charge. And and I need you to just relax. In Matthew 16, 21 through 23, it says this. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he must suffer many terrible things at the hand of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord. Let me just tell you something. If you say, heaven forbid, Lord, it's an oxymoron. How many of you know what I'm saying? Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Peter is upset. If you look at the word reprimand right here, if you look it up in the King James, it says, Peter began to rebuke Jesus. Verse 23 Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Whenever we go through something, what we have to pray is, Lord, give me your perspective of what I'm in. Not get mad, not get upset, not because it's not going my way. I thought it was going to go this way. God says, don't get, uh, Peter got mad and wasn't open because he had his way and he was a strong personality. Strong personalities are great, but they need to learn when to say, Lord, I trust you. Are you with me on that? Number two is this, Avoid a survival mode that has given up on God. And there's a difference, I think, in our lives sometimes between recalibrating because of something you're facing and giving up on God. There's a difference. Sometimes we go through something and we have to recalibrate. I didn't plan. You know what I'm saying? we got to adjust this. We have to adjust that. We need to adjust this. There's a difference between doing that and giving up on God. Sometimes in our life, we have to recalibrate. Look at what it says about the disciples in John 21. Verse 1 through verse 9, and then verse 12. They're going to put it up on the screen because what I'm going to do is I want to count how many disciples are in this group. Do you remember who the leaders were of the disciples in the New Testament? It was Peter, James, and John. They were the leaders. And so look at what it says. It says, This is after the crucifixion. They have not seen, they have not experienced the resurrection. And it says, Later. Later. Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee, and this is how it happened. Let me verse two. Several of disciples were there. Simon Peter. Who's Simon? Simon is a leader. Now, I want you to, I'm going to count them with my fingers. So you have Simon Peter, you have Thomas, you have Nathaniel, you have the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, there's five, and two other disciples. There's seven of the disciples in this group. How many did Jesus pick? Twelve. Judas had gone out and hung himself, so there's 11. So we have seven of the 11 that are in this group right here. And look at what it says. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. And then they responded, we'll come too. Now, when you look at the term, I'm going fishing, it is not the way you're reading it there. If you look at it in the original Greek, what Peter said is he said, I'm going fishing back to fishing just like I did before I came to the Lord I'm going back to an old life I'm going back because of this discouragement I'm going back to the way that I used to function and six of the others said we'll come with you how many of you know this is not a good situation They're they're in a spot where they're looking, and Simon said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul the net in because there was so much fish in it. Now, what I want you to remember is this is when Jesus called Peter in Luke 5, he told him to go out a little deeper and throw your net out. And the last time they had experienced this, so many fish in the net, was when Peter was called by Jesus. Now, let me just tell you, God is setting him up. He's setting him up. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. (laughs) Peter was so discouraged, he was so given up, He didn't believe and he says, it's the Lord. Now look at this, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, He put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed for the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. I just have a, this is a side note, where do you think those fish came from? I think Jesus walked up and he's like, I need a dozen volunteers. How many of you know what I'm saying? And they're just like on the fire. But Jesus already had them there. Verse 12, now come and have some breakfast. Jesus said, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. We can't let the bite of disappointment replace the lordship of Jesus in our life. We cannot let, oh, this is, you know, I had a crucifixion. Right now, I'm between this resurrection. And I cannot let the bite of that disappointment replace that God is faithful, that God is good, that God has a plan and the lordship of Jesus in my life. See, they went back to their old way of living. I can't tell you how many times people that I know as a pastor, they come in, they have this incredible encounter with the Lord, and something happens in their life that sets them back, and they never let it go. It begins to taint. It affects every part of their faith. Number three is this, is learn to draw encouragement from others. Do I have people in my life that I'll listen to, that I'll seek out, Or let's speak into my life when I'm discouraged. Do I have those in my life? This is huge. We all need it. This is one of the many reasons why we need to be plugged in to a local church and have friends. One thing that COVID did is it dislodged relational rhythms and routines. And it's taken a toll on a lot of people. A lot of people because COVID said, no, you can't be around and and unplug. Look at what it says. And I want to read a scripture in Mark chapter 16, verse 14. It says, still later he appeared to the eleven disciples as they were eating together and he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he was risen from the dead. Notice it says not their unbelief, but their stubborn unbelief. Have you ever been around somebody that they've been through a crucifixion experience and they're just stubborn and stuck right there. They're just they're just stubborn unbelief. Jesus showed up and he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief. When we go through things, grief is natural. But what do I do when I'm facing it? Am I looking to refill with the life of God, or am I simply looking to rehearse and experience that is discouraging and that is hard and disheartening to me? Is we have to stop and say, I realize right now that, okay, I've been through this situation, but I need to draw encouragement. I need to, I realize that maybe right now my cage is rattled, my life is rattled, my situation is rattled, and maybe right now I've allowed some unbelief to get in my heart. Let God work it out, but resist stubborn unbelief. Stubborn is God can come over, over and over and over again, but we just won't let it go. Stubborn unbelief is like seeing the guardrail and hitting the gas. God is saying, I I need you to realize that I am faithful. You went through, it is painful, it is difficult. You don't understand, but I need you to have a heart like Jesus that said, God, not my will, but your will be done. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust in your faithfulness. Number four is this, is God's forgiveness is greater than your mistake. Sometimes in our lives, when we've had a crucifixion experience, We've made mistakes that have contributed to it. I'm going to be really honest. How many of you have done that before? I've done that. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, yow. I mean, I'm having a crucifixion experience, but it is connected to my mistake. You know that when Jesus was having the last supper, he said, he said before this night is over to his disciples, he said right after communion, he said before the night's over, all of you are going to be scattered and you're going to leave me. And the Bible said Peter stepped up, and I could just imagine Peter. Peter looked at the other 11 and basically said, you know what? They might all leave you, but I will never leave you. I'll even die for you. And Jesus turns to him and says, love you, Pete. I'm just putting my words in there. okay? But before the rooster crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. I mean, how many of you all know that is like, ugh. And you think about it, and then it says, and we know what happened. Peter did exactly what Jesus said. And one of the gospels says it like this, that when Peter denied him the third time and the rooster crowed, that Peter could see Jesus, and Jesus turned and looked at him. How many of you know that? would just be like, and the Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept. But I want to look at a passage that is right after Jesus rose from the dead in Mark 16, verse 5 through verse 7. It says, this is the the girls that were the first ones that went in. It says, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting at the right side. The The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now look at verse 7. Now go and tell the disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. To me, this is so much like God when we made a mistake. Why didn't the angels just say, go tell the disciples? Because Jesus knew where Peter was in his heart. Could you imagine these ladies come and they say, the Lord is risen. We saw an angel. And he said, go tell the disciples and Peter that he has risen from the dead. God said, I just want to let you know, Peter. And he said, I've gone ahead of you. I am in front of you. And you could imagine Peter's heart where Peter just sat there. I think all of us could relate to this, that if the last time you saw Jesus alive was a denial and you went out and you wept bitterly after the resurrection, the first words you hear about Jesus is he's mentioning you personally and he wants you to go ahead ahead of him because he's alive in Galilee. What we have got to realize is God's forgiveness is greater than your mistake. Maybe you've made a mistake that has contributed to where you're at. I want to tell you something. That is why Jesus came. God doesn't want you in stubborn unbelief. God wants you to anchor that he's a good God. He's a forgiving God. He's a graceful God. He even knew Peter was going to do it before he did it. And after the resurrection, he tells These girls, you go tell all the disciples and Peter. I could imagine Peter sitting there saying, Did he really say my name? Did he really say to tell me to be there? And they said, Yeah, you're the only one he really said. He said, All of you guys, but then he used your name personally, Peter. Number five is this when between crucifixion and resurrection, remember what he says. We've got to remember. What God says. Oh my gosh. It says after He rose that they began to remember what He said and they understood. Sometimes we only remember after the resurrection when God is saying, I need you to anchor and remember before the resurrection. And it will stabilize your soul. It will stabilize your outlook. It will stabilize reflection on what he has said and what he has done in your life. Whenever we're going through a crucifixion, one of the greatest things we can do is, number one, remember all of the things that God has done in our life. We can reflect on all All of the times that God has brought us through. But then the next thing we can do is we can remember what his word says. We can remember what he's promised. This is a solution to every problem in our life. God's word reveals his solutions in our life. And what he wants us to do is he stops and says, you're right now in the in-between. Right now you're in the in-between. I need you to remember what I have said. I need you to anchor on what I've said. Number six is this, is without crucifixion experiences, there is no resurrection faith. I think we want resurrection faith and resurrection power and resurrection everything. God said you, you have to realize that that comes from experience. That doesn't just something you learn, but it comes from experience. We don't like, and rightly so, facing crucifixion experiences. Are we all in agreement on that? But what we do like is seeing God come through on the other side. We do, and it marks our soul like nothing else can mark our soul in a positive way in the direction of God in our life. You know, I I think... In our lives sometimes, I believe that God is saying, you know, some people say, oh, God's called me to do this, and God's called me to do that. I just want to tell you, before you get to where God's called you to, is you're going to go through some crucifixions and experience some resurrections that are going to so transform your soul that you can handle what he's called you to do. You can handle it. And I think as we come for Easter I believe today that the Lord is reaching out to each one of us and he's saying, right now, what day are you on? Day one? Day two? Or are you just 20 minutes before the resurrection occurs? No matter what is going on in your life, God is faithful to his word. Let's stand to our feet, if you would. I want to lead us right now in a prayer because what I know is that as I stand up here right now, there are some of us that you're in a spot and you're here. Maybe you're here right now because somebody invited you. Maybe you're here because, you know, going to church on Easter is something that's a tradition in your family. But I want to tell you this. God wants you to know him in more than just a cerebral religious experience. He wants you to know him in a real way. He wants you to know him as the one that sees you, that loves you, that knows everything about you, and he wants to lead your life. But what it it requires of us is to stop and recognize our need for him in our life. You know, I look at all of the ones in the New Testament, and it all comes back to when you talk about faith, faith is incredibly personal. Your husband or your wife, cannot have faith for you. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend, they can't have faith for you. Your parents, they can't have faith for you. You have to have your own faith in God. And I don't know where you're at, but I believe that right now, the Holy Spirit is using me to draw you into a relationship with Him. But only you can respond to that. I want us to right now close our eyes, Bow our head. God, today as we come this Easter, Lord, we're here because we believe. We're here, Lord, because we need you. And Lord, today as we draw near to you, we realize that you gave your life to pay for our sins. The resurrection was proof that forgiveness is available. The sins of the world were laid on your back. And when the resurrection occurred, it was God saying, it's satisfied, it's paid for. And Lord, we're here today because we need you. Lord, we, some of us very limited understanding, but you're knocking at the door of our life. You're here and you've never given your heart to Christ. You've never come to a spot in your life where you've said, Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I'm done with doing life my way. I want your way. You're here and you say, that's me. I want to pray with you right where you're at. We're all going to pray together. But I believe that right now, the Holy Spirit is challenging you Maybe you're online watching. The Holy Spirit is drawing you. He's drawing you because He wants a relationship with you. He's not looking at your past. He's not looking at what you think you need to do before He can accept you. He's saying, come just as you are. You're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ or you're here and you're not where you should be, and you know it. I want to pray with you. But if that's you, on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand to the Lord. By lifting your hand, it is a it is a natural response to a spiritual conviction that says, Lord, I come out of my comfort, and I say yes to you today. One, two, that's you, three, lift your hand to the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. I wanna lead us all in this prayer. Say this with me. Jesus, I believe that you are God's son, that you were crucified to pay for my sins and on the third day you rose from the dead and I'm asking you today forgive me of my sins come into my life God I need you I give you my all I give you my strengths I give you my weaknesses and I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my life and to change me from the inside out. Jesus' name.